This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing and Tails Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chase and Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt, his name is Chase, and each and every week we come at you with one simple goal, and that's to inspire, motivate, and educate you in a way that helps you get outside and do more. Deer season is rapidly approaching. In fact, for me, I am sitting at right at about three weeks. Chase is sitting at four weeks because their season, you know, I'm hunting Georgia, he's hunting Central Florida. But that doesn't change the fact that we're getting stupid excited about the upcoming whitetail season. And uh, we're bringing you more whitetail content, more Florida content this week as well. So, Chase, dude, uh, we're short on time for this evening, but uh, give us a brief overview. What's what's good in your world? Oh, man. Well, I went out scouting this morning for a few hours, checked some trail cameras, did a little bit of uh, boots on the ground. Uh, I did find the first kind of open scrape uh, of the season <laughs> up here. I uh, wasn't really expecting to find that. I was actually going in to look for a uh, trail camera that I thought I might have left in an area from last season. I'm still missing two trail cameras <laughs> that I can't find uh, as part of the old uh, repertoire for cell cameras, or, or trail cameras, not cells. But yeah, went out this morning, uh, got deer on camera. Some of them are still in velvet. Some of them are just starting to shed their velvet. Uh, starting to get excited still don't really have like a target deer or anything i'm going after bucks are still bachelored up uh, while i was driving there was a group of five that ran out in front of me uh, in my truck across the road uh, so they're still bachelored up pretty good that's about to change in the coming weeks then i've got some trail cameras on the way that i'm going to be putting out on a piece of uh, public that i hunt so i'm gonna get those cameras out get some boots on the ground there here shortly uh, so it's starting to come together and just getting everything ready for uh, deer season, man. That's awesome, dude. I've uh, I've been in a similar mode. I've got my 20, 30, and 40-yard pin on my new bow dialed in, and uh, soon I'll start, uh, you know, stretching it out a little bit further, taking those uh, 
crazy long shots that make the 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 crazy short ones feel like a, a chip shot. But uh, we got some, dude. Uh, everybody will be able to see it. It'll be on the YouTube channel if it isn't already by the time this drops. It will be very soon. But uh, we dropped a really exciting betting video where I was back out with Brett Mashburn, who's a frequent guest of the show, and we. Uh, broke down a piece of public land that he picked out, and and uh, he said, "Dude, this looks like it should be a bang up area. Let's go check it out and see if it is." And turns out we found an incredible area, hung two trail cameras, and had a really good time doing it. The season's getting close, but this week's episode is a is a fun one for me because it brings to you a type of hunting and area that we haven't had on the podcast before. You know, we've never had a uh, a super south. I mean, we're talking South Florida swamps flooding uh, seasonally, and uh, it was a really good episode to pick his brain in an area that I challenge you to pull up on the maps, look at South Florida, look at some of those terrains that they're hunting down there. It just boggles the mind, um, and it was a, a really good episode. I think people are going to glean some ins- insight for it, and we're going to have him back on to talk about the Seminole Whitetail uh, in the future weeks. We're going to do a podcast dedicated to one of the two Florida subspecies, which I think is going to be stinking cool, um, and, and, and I'm happy to say that Richard's going to join us again for part two, uh, hopefully after he's put something on the ground, and then we can get after it, but... Uh, we got to thank the people who make this show possible. First and foremost, that's our Patreon subscribers. We've got three new patrons that we need to announce on the podcast this week. Jonathan Miller, Charles Massengill, and George Batista, all of which, again, Florida turning out three for three uh, new patrons who uh, have signed up for the show. And I have exciting news. I have received one half of the hats that were sent uh, that, that – uh, uh, from the back order that we put in uh, weeks ago, we're still waiting on the remainder. So we're going to get those embroidered, send them out. And we're just going to keep churning through it. Guys, the growth this summer in Patreon has been unreal. Uh, I haven't been able to keep up because the hats have just been on back order everywhere. So uh, we haven't forgotten you. I promise I've sent out notes to anybody who is, uh, is do a hat. We'll get that out to you. We got more stickers ordered and those are going out. So man, the growth has been amazing. So uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, helping us do more, uh, check out patreon.com forward slash chasing tails outdoors and uh, look at the options that are there we got some good goodies including a vortex rangefinder that we're going to be giving away at the end of september and we have the patreon hunt this january 6th through january 9th all of those are just ways that we're trying to say thank you for supporting the show and as always we're working with tethered nation who brings you the best saddle hunting gear for the diy saddle hunter lightweight platforms super safe lightweight saddles um, some really cool things coming down the pipe there as well. So if you're listening to this, uh, stay tuned. We're going to have an episode that's going to blow your socks off, I think, especially if you're a new, uh, a new deer hunter. We're also working with Scree Gear this year. If you're interested in a lightweight layering system that will help you do more, stay warmer, stay cooler, and stay drier, check out ScreeGear.com. Use the promo code ChasingTails, and that'll get you a discount on any regular-priced merchandise. And as always, we are still working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is a predictive app that combines artificial intelligence with millions of data points from live deer who have moved throughout the year to recognize patterns to tell you when and where to hunt based on on the weather patterns, the moon phase, whether or not you slept in, you know, all the fun things that go in, check them out. And if you use the promo code chasing tails, and this is key guys, if you use the promo code chasing tails, you can lock in for life right now, $20 
a year for the app, and there are some really, really big things coming down the pipe, and the price is going to increase, and you're going to want to lock it in. I promise you will thank yourself forever uh, if you do. Chase, when I said at the beginning we're pressed for time. that This episode uh, left us with very little time to record an intro, but uh, I ran through everything. What do you say we go ahead and send them on to the show? Let's do it. All right. All right. We are on the phone now with Richard, a.k.a. Richie. Martinez. Mark <laughs> Mark told me that's your new nickname, so I figured I'd throw that out there at the very beginning. Oh, that's that's what my parents call me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I reached out to him before we hit the podcast. I said, What are some big important things I need to talk to him about? And he said, Well, you gotta slip his nickname in there. So uh <laughs> Uh, you you hail from uh, the part of the state that is we joked about known for 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 big deer. Uh, you know, Southern Florida is an enigma to a lot of people. I think a lot of people who uh, tune in to this show, uh, we've kind of got like a a large base that stratifies the entirety of the country. And a lot of people they think South Florida, you know, they think like the Yucatan Peninsula, and it's just like this totally different country. In a lot of ways, it is. And uh, my hope is today we can kind of talk about that, talk about the, the seminal whitetail species that you pursue and the habitat that you do it. Um, but maybe before we do that, why don't you kind of give everybody a 10,000-foot view of, of who you are and, and what, what your outdoor seasons and pursuits kind of look like? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I, uh, I love to deer hunt for, for sure, uh, but I would say that, that turkey's really uh, where I kind of lose my mind. Um, <laughs> Up to small game hunt. Um, I, you know, I, I'm an avid squirrel hunter. Um, I have not been hunting that long. I've, I've uh, only been hunting on my own for about 10 years. I, uh, I did do some hunting as a kid uh, with my uncles, but uh, my dad does not hunt. So uh, from the, you know, the period of uh, becoming a teenager till when I was about 30, uh, I did not hunt. Uh, at all i always wanted to get back into it it was something i thought about um often i've always been into the outdoors i've, I've always hiked i've always camped i've always just been obsessed with with being outside in nature and uh hunting was something i i always thought about i never forgot about it when i was when i hit about 30 i was it was one of those things that i was like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna try and figure that out and, uh, you know, it was pretty, uh, it's pretty difficult to figure out. I, I didn't have friends that hunted. Um, you know, I wasn't really tapped in, uh, you know, 10 years ago, social media uh, was a little different. It, you know, it was, it was hard to kind of tap into the community and it was hard to kind of, uh, get information. You know, at that time, things were more like message board based and, you know, people just kind of like, uh, you know, had uh, internal conversations but wasn't really uh, a lot of place for a newbie who was totally green to kind of like get started and basically I you know just as being a hiker um, you know I spent a lot of time walking I spent a lot of time just out in the woods and uh, it wasn't till I started really you know putting the pieces together of just kind of like oh every time I'm over here I see I see deer or every, you know, whenever I'm over here, I, I see turkey tracks all over the place. And, you know, it wasn't until I started putting those pieces of the puzzle together that I was like, 
you know, well, maybe, maybe here's where to hunt, and, you know, and, it, and it, I just started exploring those areas and picking them apart and just kind of like reading the, the landscape and then just kind of figured it out. And, you know, I've had, uh, you know, some pretty good success on public land and some pretty tough areas that um, are kind of like notorious for discouraging hunters and, and turning uh, people away. But, um, you know, I've had uh, 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 consecutive uh, success, I would say, uh, since I began uh, this journey. That's awesome, buddy. I think I think all of the great outdoorsmen, the great woodsmen, start by being wanderers. You said you like to hike in the woods and walk around the woods. And it seems yeah. like that is just a prerequisite for people to to get that moniker, that that elusive moniker of being a woodsman, right? Yeah. Now I've got a, a pretty pretty bad case of wanderlust. I mean, I've you know even in scouting, I'm always like, what's around there? What's around that corner? Or, you know, what's you know, I go to this tree island, but this is the one I was scouting on on satellite. But what's at that next one over there? And, and you know, and that that. You know, I've always had that, whether it be hunting, hiking, just, you know, wanting to see more and more. And, and that I think really helped me as a hunter is just wanting to be out there and spending that time. And, and you know, I think it's, it's discouraging for some people who go out uh, and don't see success quickly. Um, I think, uh, you know, ha- being able to spend that time out there, uh, you know, and not coming home with something, you, you can't, you can't see that as a failure. I mean, you, you've got to really, uh, you know, be at peace with your time, whether you're shooting something, seeing something or seeing nothing, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of just kind of, you know, tap into something that, that you can appreciate and, and just spend time out there. Cause the, you know, the longer you can spend time out there, you know, the more success it'll, will come, you know, it's not, you know, a lot of people ask me or, you know, I get uh, private messages about, oh, you know, what, what are your tactics? What are your tips? And, you know, I, I that stuff's important, but I, what's most important for me is just the patience and wanting to be out there. And Mark makes fun of me because he's the type of hunter that, uh, you know, he'll, he'll bop around and go to different spots and, and he makes fun of me because I'll sit in the same spot for three days, you know, and I, you know, I'll sit in the exact same tree for three days and, and that's how I shoot stuff. You know, I just, I'm just patient and I just like being out there. I, I think, I think the, the only wrong way, and, and I've said this a couple of times now on the podcast, the only wrong way to hunt whitetails is just to not do it because, <laughs> you know, Mark has success doing what he's doing. You have success doing what you're doing. In fact, we dropped a podcast this last week, and the guy's like, listen, you need to find these transition zones. He was very specific about his success. And then a guy reached out who uh, doesn't, like, literally believes in not hunting the transition zones because that's where most people are. And he's got a wall full of deer where he just o- hunts this, like, big, open, monotonous terrain. But, he, you know, he thinks the deer are using it when there's hunters in the woods. And so, like... It's so fascinating to me how everyone always has a different philosophy, but it seems like it's the ones that are consistently applying the philosophy and kind of have that restless curiosity of of applying it to different areas that that seem to find success. Totally, yeah, yeah, and that, you know, there's you know, especially hunting on public land, like tactics can vary even when you consider the pressure of other hunters, like 
you know, people use that as well. Like people, you know, that, that alone can be a tactic of just understanding what pressure does uh, to deer and, and how it affects them. And that can be part of their, you know, that could be another tool in their toolkit as well. For sure. So the, the, the majority of the area in which you do your hunting, uh, we have a patron uh, who we were talking about you uh, the other day. Uh, we have a little Patreon group and we have a little Marco Polo video chat group and, and we're talking to, to them and uh, we mentioned uh, that uh, we were in some swampy areas and that the conversation of snake boots came up. And uh, Julian says, yeah, you know, <laughs> Richard Martinez, he, he says to take those snake boots and drill holes in them because they're going to be full of water and you need, <laughs> you need them to easily drain. Um, and I think that perfectly encapsulates the kind of area you're hunting. So why don't we kind of introduce the listener to what does it look like where you hunt? It's wet, you know, it's, it's, it's wetlands. It's, it's not, you know, it's the majority of it is underwater. Um, especially I should say this time of year, um, because, uh, you know, during our wet season, which we're in right now, uh, you know, everything's pretty much flooded, uh, and I'm, you know, from the moment I, I get out of the truck, uh, get off the road, uh, till I get to my stand, I'm, I'm basically walking in water. And uh, I find for myself, uh, you know, the best spots or the way to get away from people is, is crossing through deeper waters, crossing through cypress strands, getting through nasty swamps and getting on the other side of them. Um, that's, that's how I lose the crowd. Uh, and that, you know, is going to involve uh, knee deep, thigh deep water, uh, where those snake boots, I think are basically useless. I mean, I've got like army combat training boots that I've got to run holes through and, and just, you know, poke holes through them and, and let them drain. And, and on top of that, uh, I do, ha- I do wear snake protection. I hunt alone, uh, often. And, uh, that's something that I think about and, uh, and I am concerned about, so I, I do wear snake gaiters, um, but they, you know, you basically zip them up over your boots and, uh, you know, they allow you to stay a little cooler than you would, you know, these big knee high boots. But um, particularly with those high boots, you know, you cross through deep water, uh, you're going to be coming out the other side, you know, carrying buckets. You're going to have to, you know, do yoga moves basically to drain them out. <laughs> on walking you know not only that once they're wet inside they're heavier so it's more you know weight more strain on you um and they're hot you know you, you got knee-high boots and 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 uh 90 degree weather with uh, 80 percent humidity um you know that can really that can raise your body temperature and, and that's not going to help you out at all so um you know i find that i just submit and and you know get my feet wet and uh you know, it cools me off, like, especially, you know, when I go through the, the cypress heads, uh, you know, where it's nice and shady that, and that water gets deeper, it can get pretty cool in there. So when you're coming out of your stand at, at 12 o'clock and, and you cross through there, it's, uh, it's, it's actually kind of nice, you know, those are spots where I kind of pause and eat my lara bar, and, you know, drink a little water and then continue on. So, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the landscape, I mean, that's, that's essentially it. I mean, it's, it is, it is wetland habitat. And, and that, that goes for most of our management areas down here in South Florida. You know, some of them um, are on land uh, that, 
that has been either, uh, uh, you know, cattle farms that have been now converted over into management areas that, that do have some element of drainage in them. Um, you know, some, some that have been uh, heavily impacted by, by, by man basically altering the landscape with canals and ditches. Um, but the majority of them down here uh, are pretty wet and, and some of them are, are getting wetter uh, every year as, as restoration projects uh, continue down here. Um, you know, if you, you talk to people in the about the 70s and the 80s, um, that was kind of like the uh, the South Florida, uh, you know, the, the, the heyday of, of deer hunting down here. Um, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of that had to do with the water levels and that it was drier times um, because of the drainage and, and uh, it, it did allow for uh, for that deer herd to, to grow, basically. We were also dealing with uh, low, low panther numbers as well. At, at that time, you know, the panthers weren't doing very well. And, and uh, you know, a lot has changed since then. Like I said, there's been a lot of restoration efforts that have put a lot of that water back onto the landscape. And, and uh, with the restoration of the panther and the recovery of the panther, um, you know, we, we see those, we've seen those impacts, especially the guys who've been hunting uh, since the 70s and 80s. They, they've seen that change take place. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all good, but, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's different, right? It's, it's uh, you know, it's affected the deer herd. So, you know, South Florida has gotten a reputation for being a, a, a very hard place to hunt in terms of deer, but, you know, quite honestly, um, there are deer here. I think there are a lot of deer here. And I, I know a lot of guys who have success every year down here hunting it. And, uh, you know, just takes a, a kind of mindset to, to tap into it. And, uh, you know, and that, and that comes from spending time with it. So one of my immediate thoughts is uh, what is the uh, uh, Martinez family endorsed snake gator? Uh, I think they're, they're, uh, turtle skin. They're a little pricey. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, it's snake bites we're protecting here from, so. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> but they, they're super lightweight and they don't absorb water. And that's why I really like them. A lot of the snake gators I've seen out there are, are thicker material. Um, they will absorb a lot of water, but, um, these are really thin, like a high heavy thread count, um, you know, just like a very tough uh, weave um, that will protect you from from their, you know, the the, the fangs basically. Oh. And uh, I think they're totally worth it. I mean, I've gone through two pairs in ten years, so you know they've lasted. The first one lasted, uh, you know, probably six years, and uh, and I'm on my second pair now. So I think I think they're totally they're they're worth the investment. Um, especially when you consider how fast you go through snake boots and, you know, how crappy quality most of the manufacturers um, that put them out uh, have, um, you know, I, on my first, I would say my first Turkey season I spent in snake boots. And, and by the end of that season, those boots were pretty much falling apart. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I think, you know, when you think about the long run, I think it's, it's totally worth it. And I like, I've got buddies, uh, who, who hunt in Chuck Taylors, you know? Um, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's all about what you're comfortable in. And, you know, I know plenty of guys who hunt barefoot, you know, it's, there's a whole, you know, spectrum out there. That's awesome, man. 
That's awesome. Okay, Chase, before I get to going too far ahead of myself, do you have any questions or thoughts thus far? I'm just thinking, is it is it always flooded down there in South Florida like that, even in the wintertime? Yeah, typically during deer season. So, you know, we've got, okay. we've got a wet season and we've got a dry season. And, uh, you know, our wet season begins basically around June um, and peaks, uh, or the peak month of the wet season is September. Um, and then it would start, typically start, uh, you see the water levels start falling up down into turkey season usually our dry seasons around you know march and and april um now that that's that's typically how it how it goes now we've got some years that have been drier during the wet season and some years that have been you know we've had wet dry seasons so it really depends on the rain events that have happened that year like if if we've got a hurricane um that hits south florida then and our wet season's probably going to be prolonged, um, and it's going to go longer, like into the turkey season. But typically, uh, you know, when you're hunting deer, that that's during our, our wet season. And and South Florida, as uh, uh, some people may know, begins in August, basically on public land. Right. Yeah, I was just wondering. I didn't know if if y'all were battling that the whole season, or that was just kind of like at the beginning during y'all's kind of bow and muzzleloader, or what. So I've never hunted down there. Have you ever hunted up this way, or have you just hunted South Florida? Just South Florida. Yeah, for deer, just South Florida. For turkey, I've I've uh, done a little bit of traveling, but for deer, okay. man, I've I've probably uh, yeah never never shot anything uh you know past uh orlando okay gotcha yeah because it's a it's a whole lot drier up here <laughs> where we're at we're not dealing with any of that yeah yeah that, that's one of the things that i think mystifies even uh florida hunters is that you know you, you, being in north florida being in the panhandle um like what you guys the type of terrain you're hunting is so much closer to the rest of the southeast like you can kind of like take what you know and, and and adapt that i think a lot more easily to uh other state nearby states than you can even to you know some management area south south of the lake basically um because things are so things become so different so quickly as you transition from like you know orlando to lake okeechobee basically right I've had some buddies that have done, like they put in for the quota hunts down there, some of the, the bigger quota hunts and stuff. And when they get down there, they're like, uh, there's not a lot of trees down here. And they're talking about like spot and stock hunting and things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Some, some management areas, you know, do offer, uh, you know, you're basically limited to, to more spot and stock. You know, it kind of depends on how much pines you do have. Um, you know, some people, uh, hunt deer off airboats and they just kind of, you know, uh, run through the sawgrass and, and, and try and track them down. But, you know, it's, uh, as you get into drier areas, um, you know, you do find, uh, a lot of opportunity for, for stand hunting. And I, I, you know, pretty much archery season, I'm sitting in a stand, uh, exclusively and, and muzzleloader and deer, uh, sorry, muzzleloader and general gun, I'll, I'll uh, go back and forth between standing and walking. How, so are, are you just basically an in-season scouter at that point? Because if you, you know, the places you're hunting during turkey season don't have water and 
now now you're you're talking about you know the the inevitable you are going to be wet i mean does that impact when you do your scouting yeah absolutely yeah i uh like i said our our wet season begins in june and i'll basically begin my deer scouting once that water hits like i I really won't get into it too much while it's dry but once that water hits i'm in deer mode and i'm basically um in deer mode to you know say christmas you know the christmas holidays and and then i'm pretty much uh squirrel hunting slash turkey scouting up until turkey hits and i'm basically Anywhere I'm squirrel hunting, I'm, I'm basically turkey scouting at the same time. And I kind of use that whole small game season to, to cover uh, turkey scouting. You know, another thought that just occurred to me, and this, this is kind of – I feel like the answer is going to stink, but if they're adding more and more water with restoration, restoration projects, are you having to constantly adapt as to where you're going based on the amount of rain? Like, are you losing areas as the as – the, the, um, I want to say renovations, but that's not the, the restoration projects occur. I wouldn't say we're losing areas out and in my, again, in my, in my, in my short tenure of, uh, of deer hunting, like what I've seen is, is the changing of, of tree islands. Like for instance, okay. uh, areas where I had there, you know, there's, there's a few pines that I've sat on before that are dead because, um, they've sat in water so long um, that that it's been harder for them to to I think survive basically, and uh, I've seen those pine areas slowly reduce and that those cypress kind of creep in more into that those areas. So that's it's it's only been a little bit of change that I've seen in my time. It, again, if you talk to somebody who's been hunting from the 70s um on that they, they may have a totally different um impression on it so how do you reconcile the fact that potentially the better part of the hunting and, and if i'm saying this wrong you know feel free to correct me but i think what i heard you say was that the quote-unquote better deer hunting uh is kind of behind you as these restoration projects uh occurred does that mean that the carrying capacity is going to kind of continue to to dwindle to a more natural state and does that um impact how you view the pursuit yeah definitely i mean there there are some areas um that held deer just you know 10 years ago that that i know of that that don't anymore and and the the antler restriction sizes have changed the bag limits uh have changed and and a lot of that has to do uh with the amount of water on the land um coupled with the impact of the panthers and and it's you know, I, I, I've seen decline in my time. I've, I've seen, you know, I've sat in areas where at one point, you know, it wasn't anything to see a dozen does every morning. Um, and now I'm lucky to see two or three. Um, so I've definitely, I've definitely seen, seen a, a decline. Um, you know, I don't know uh, how far the decline goes. I've also seen it ebb and flow. I've sure. seen things uh kind of die off and then you know two years later that spot that i i still stick a camera on just because it you know it was it was super awesome five years ago and then all of a sudden this year i've got a bunch of deer on it you know back again you know Mm -hmm. um 
you know, fire has a lot to do with that too, you know, areas that have been burned, whereas other areas that have just gotten too overgrown will kind of push, push the game out. Um, you know, I've definitely, I've definitely seen some of that, but I think in terms of long-term, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I worry about the future of, of deer hunting in South Florida. It's something I think about and I'm, I'm concerned with and, and, uh, but I think also my concern, um, is also coupled with land management. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, there are some areas that, that aren't burned enough. Um, there are some areas that are being overrun with invasive, uh, plants, um, that are kind of, uh, really choking out, um, the habitat, um. And that's something I think that is uh, probably the bigger threat. Um, really, is is that um, seeing seeing the land change uh, in in a negative way in in ways in which uh, we could have a better uh, uh, you know uh, effect on, or, or we could be managing better to you know produce uh, more uh, natural Florida habitat. Um, you know, I, I think that's, to me, that that's my biggest concern. Do you do you feel like the there's ever? Do you ever feel like there there's this like point, this tipping point, perhaps that uh, the the efforts to restore are going to end up having uh, a negative impact on that, given all the other in fact factors like the invasive species. I mean, development has to be a constant battle down there as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, that's a tricky question because unfortunately, um, you know, what, what we did when, when we tried to, uh, basically control, uh, the flow of water in South Florida is, is we fragmented the landscape with, whereas, you know, it was, the way it was designed uh, basically was, was this kind of interconnected watershed that, that basically ran from all the way from Orlando down to Florida Bay. Um, and what we did basically is we, we fragmented that. So, so certain sections of that, those, those fragmented parts um, have reached their tipping point and have collapsed there. There are areas um you know, water conservation area, 2A, you know, um, there are areas uh, it, it just in, in the sawgrass that um, they're, they're no longer, they're so full of water at certain times that, that the tree islands are dying off. Um, mm. They're not to support, uh, you know, healthy deer habitat. But, um, you know, you could have a management area that's 45 minutes down the street and it's loaded with deer. Um, and that's a product of that fragmentation. So, um, yes, you know, some areas have hit their t- tipping points and collapse and, and other areas, um, you know, are, are thriving, really. I mean, there are some management areas uh, in South Florida that are absolutely loaded with deer. You know, I, I, I don't go into them without seeing deer, just, just uh, driving around. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a complete mixed bag. You know, we've, we've definitely, uh, 
uh, you know, tampered with it um, in an extreme way. And, and it's very uh, obvious uh, if you spend time on the landscape and on, you know, sort of can see the difference between what, what the natural habitat's supposed to look like and, and what, you know, the, those areas that have been heavily impact, um, you know, how it's affected by it. For sure. So shifting gears from the, the, the conservation component of this, you look at, I'm looking at on Onyx, uh, one of your favorite WMAs, um, and I can attest that if you think North Florida is difficult from a landscape standpoint, I look at this sometimes and I just get anxiety trying to figure out, like, what the hell am I supposed to look at, right? Like, what, it looks so, first off, it doesn't even look like woods, um, and it's it's not, what yeah. what what do the tactics look like for an area that is comprised of, you know, darn near perfectly uniform elevation with a degree of water that is unlike anywhere else in Florida, open grass areas that give way to small dotted islands. I mean, like how does how does a skilled hunter kind of break that apart? Yeah, well, you know that that near perfect elevation um, is really quite dynamic. Um, you know, when you sort of uh, start getting into uh, uh, the minutia of it, um, you really start to understand like how dynamic um, it is. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you go to, let's say, western states or you, you go to mountainous terrain, um, habitat types uh, change within thousands of feet of, of elevation change. Um, and here in South Florida, it could be two feet of elevation change. It could be a foot of, ele- of elevation change, and the habitat type change completely. So you, you may have, you know, a pine island, uh, you know, probably what you think of when you think of Florida woods, um, you know, pine, uh, pines with an understory of, of uh, saw palmetto. Um, and then you can have, a prairie that's that's you know maybe under you know six or eight inches of water and it's, it's a complete grass prairie with different plant communities and then you know you drop off another six or eight inches and then you get into a cypress swamp where the dominant plant is you know is a cypress tree and it becomes woods again essentially and and then now you have different plant communities like air plants and and all sorts of different, uh, uh, you know, alligator flag and, and, you know, different almost tropical uh, uh, plants. So I think the first thing uh, to understand really is like, you know, how does the deer navigate through those different habitat types, you know? And as you would imagine, those drier areas serve as as bedding areas, um, areas where they could find a place to, to bed down. Um, and I, I also didn't mention, uh, hardwood hammocks, which are basically our, our, our driest type of, of, uh, habitat type, uh, which sits highest above, uh, the landscape. And that, you know, that's where you're going to find your oaks and, you know, uh, you're going to find, uh, basically, uh, trees that will or plant communities that will require sort of being dry year round. Whereas in those pine communities they can tolerate some portion of the year underwater um but basically once you start understanding um 
those habitat types and you, you, then you kind of can progress to uh, you know how the animals use those habitat types and and the, you know one of the one of the problems with with Florida is that I would say one of the challenges is there's food everywhere right so it's not like you know some people I've talked to who are newer hunters they they're like oh you know I, I think I've got a you know focus on the hammocks because there's acorns in there and it's it's like yeah there's acorns in there but you know also in that marsh over there is just loaded with all all sorts of vegetation that the you know the deer just go crazy for so you know they're they're surrounded by food basically so you know one of the things i try and focus on is, is their travel corridors right like where where do they sleep and and where do they go to eat and and that's basically you know the most important thing for me is, is finding game trails and and you, you're not going to find those game trails. Well, you might you might see them on satellite. You might, you might see zigzagging through the you know, prairies or whatnot. Um, but what, when you're really going to have your eureka moments is is spending the time just walking those areas. And what I like to focus on is I would you know probably describe them as transition zones. Uh, you know, areas where you know you may have big chunks of, of pines that sort of come up. Uh, smack against uh, large wet areas, whether it be big grassy marshes or, or thick nasty swamps, like um, you know, just sort of like areas where where the two meet, right? And where there's where there's corridors that kind of run between them. Um, and I, you know, I basically I I just like to get out there and walk and spend the time walking and find those game trails and then walk the game trails because you walk the game trails you get a sense of how the, the animals are moving through the landscape. And you also come to area, you know, it will also allow you to get into areas where you find intersections, where all of a sudden, you know, a, a game trail, a heavy game trail splits in three ways and each way is equally as heavy. And, and you start looking around and, and then you start finding, finding rubs and, you know, it, it, it all kind of like, will fall into place um, in that way. But I think, you know, if, if you understand that alone, that the deer will use those habitats differently, you will start to, it'll start to sort of sink in. And then, of course, like, you know, once you start sitting out there and you sit in the stand and you watch deer, it all kind of, you know, you, you can kind of see how they, they use an area. You understand why. They walk out, you know, through a giant prairie. They walk across the whole prairie and they go to this one spot. And why do they go to that one spot? And it's like, well, it's a little lower, and it's you know, it's full of uh, you know, uh, very herbaceous uh, plants, like just stuff they love to eat. And it's just that one little low spot in that prairie that they like. So how do they get to that low spot? And you know, you start picking apart that prairie and you see. You know this pine island that kind of like has this little point uh, that kind of sticks out because for whatever reason you know those deer they'll walk across the prairies and then they'll kind of focus on that one point that kind of juts out and then they'll head towards that you know they just kind of like use the land that way and and all those sort of little little you know all, the, all those little things are the types of things you pick up on as you observe them and spend that time out there 
Do you consider yourself a, a bit a, a bed hunter? You, you kind of talk about the travel corridors and trying to identify the higher areas. Do you ever kind of? I, I hate to be. I hate to just say it like this, but do you ever deploy beast tactics? Is that what you feel like beast? you do? What are beast tactics? <laughs> well, I guess that's a no. Um, <laughs> uh, Dan Infault's historic uh, idea of of finding where big bucks bedded. And instead of hunting a food source or something like that to kill him, uh, making moves when the conditions are right, uh, and you think that deer is using a specific bed, per se. No. Yeah, okay. I have no idea where any of the deer that I have shot uh, bedded. I have, I have no idea how to tell a buck bed from a doe bed. Um, I, I know where deer bed, um, and I know... When I focus on, on deer scouting and, and trying to kill deer, I'm just looking for areas they're passing through. So I'm not even sitting right up on top of their food source. I just want to know where their food sources are and, and where they're coming through. And one of the things that I find, uh, or I should say, one of the things that's really unique about hunting the rut, per se, is that you will know where the feeding spots are and you'll see does always in the feeding spots. And I will deliberately set up between two different feeding spots. So there's this one little prairie where I always see deer and there's this other little prairie where I always see deer. And between the two, you know, there may be some game trails that kind of like link the two um, in, in let's say like a pinch point uh, for example. You know, that's exactly where I want to set up, right in those pinch points. Because those bucks, um, you know, especially during the rut, they're just going to be cruising from spot to spot to spot. You know, they're, they're just trying to pick up chicks, and they're just going from bar <laughs> to bar to bar. So once you understand where the bars are at, then you can kind of use the landscape in the way that I sort of try to, uh, you know, set up on them. So as, as far as bedding areas... I know where they bed, but it can also bed anywhere. Like you may be looking at a prairie and there may be a, a little dry spot and they'll just curl up right in there and, and plunk down. I mean, I've sat watching a prairie and just blinked or looked the other way, turned around and there was deer there. And I was like, where did they come from? You know, <laughs> there was some little dry patch, something they found where they just decided that's where they were going to camp out that night. So, you know, to be totally honest, like I, I have very uh, little understanding of why a buck would bed somewhere as opposed to where a doe would bed somewhere. I got you. Chase, before I continue to just hammer him with questions, you got anything? Uh, no, I mean, all of that makes sense to me. I mean, it's I mean, you're hunting like these super big chunks of land, it, it seems like. And do you have you just found areas that you really like to focus on and just break down certain areas, or do you kind of bounce around in these big areas? No, I, I, I would say I don't bounce around. I have like a well, maybe I do. I mean, I have a I have a deck of cards, right? And every year, you know, let's say I couldn't tell you exactly, but let let's say I had five cards in my deck, and and every year, um, 
you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to want to check those five cards and then possibly find new cards to put in that deck. Right. So if, if that year, you know, my, my two or three favorite spots, uh, one of them looks kind of cold, um, you know, then I'm actively trying to find a new spot or trying to find a new, uh, you know, some, a lot of heavy sign and then add a new card to my deck. And, and then basically once season opens, I'm focusing really hard on those on, on basically like what I've decided or what I've determined to be um, spots I want to hit hard. Like I don't, I don't get discouraged um, about, you know, uh, let's say, you know, come the second week of season, I see absolutely no deer in an area uh, that was loaded before season, right? Um, I, I I won't get discouraged by that. So by the third, by the fourth week of season, I'm, I'm still, uh, hit, you know, being persistent and, and sitting in those areas because eventually things will cool off. You know, if, if people have been in there pushing deer around, um, you know, eventually things will cool off and they'll come back in, um, you know, because that's, that's the one thing I feel like, I'm really excited about opening weekend. Um, the second weekend is, is always like the worst weekend of the year feels like to me um, because everything's different. And then by the third and fourth weekend, things are start to cool off and things start coming back to the, what you saw when you were scouting. So, um, you know, that's basically it. Like I'll bounce around, but I'll bounce around within like what I've already determined is like my, my my uh my frame of of bouncing if that makes sense <laughs> right yeah that makes sense and like for us early season might look a little different because the deer aren't typically rutting yet it's usually maybe a month or so into the season or it could be a little bit different in the panhandle but you're starting out like with the deer pretty much full rut right oh yeah yeah, and in some, you know, in some areas, the ruts already happened. So we're, uh, you know, post-rut, um, kind of second-wave rut. Um, that's that's also, you know, we, we're, I don't know, I don't, you know, I, I, I can't really compare it to, to North Florida, but, you know, we, we've got a hard rut, like we've got our main rut, but then, you know, our deer are, they're, they're breeding year round. Um, so, uh, we've essentially got, you know, a rut, you know, every moon cycle, basically, we kind of see like another rut come up, um, each time. So it's nothing to see, uh, you know, a deer chasing, uh, from July all the way, you know, till Christmas, basically. I mean, it gets, less and less but but it you know it's not totally shocking down here okay yeah i always wondered about that because i knew that your uh, uh the rut per se like the peak rut or whatever was kind of the beginning of y'all season and then how you guys approached the season after that because like you're mentioning it's going to be less and less every 28 days or whatever uh the cycle is for does to come in where the rest of us are kind of up here we have more of that, like the early season where they're, they may be on food. They may be getting, they may be starting to scrape a little bit rubs. Are you finding uh, a lot of that sign down there since it's so wet? Do you ever find scrapes? Um, I'm assuming you probably find more rubs than scrapes. 
Uh, yeah, definitely rubs. Um, that's that's basically the main sign that I'm looking for in terms of buck sign. Um, scrapes, uh, we find them in the hammocks. We find them in, in drier areas, um, but um, they're harder to find and they're harder to kind of figure out, uh, you know, they're, they're har- harder to really, like, slam dunk, like, know what you're looking at, right? Um, okay. But definitely in the, in the hardwood hammocks, um, you know, that that's sort of like an area where you may find them. But, but rubs are primarily what I'm, what I'm trying to, you know, look after, especially an area that, that's, uh, you know, gets hit every year. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of spot that I want to sit on. So as the season progresses, do, do your tactics change any? I mean, if, if, you know, acorns probably come and go pretty quick, the rut comes and goes pretty quick, forbs become your, your predominant, uh, food down there. So are, do you find yourself adjusting real heavily throughout the year? Uh, not, not through, no, not through deer season. I, I would say I might be walking more towards the end of it. Um, just cause you know, to be totally honest, I'm just getting bored of, of, of sitting in one spot. Sure. Um, I want to start walking around and moving and, and seeing new things. And, and then I start thinking about next season too. Like when I get towards the end of season, I'm kind of looking for old sign and, you know, just dropping, uh, you know, waypoints on my, on my GPS for stuff I want to come check out maybe next year or leave a camera on next year. So I'm almost, you know, starting to get, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get antsy by the end of season. So I'm probably walking <laughs> around more. Uh, as <laughs> and also getting ready for squirrel, right? Like one of the things I really absolutely love about small game hunting is just, you know, walking, just, you know, just moving and covering ground and, you know, the weather gets nicer and, you know, it's, it's not so hot and you can just cover miles, you know, in a day. And, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I really appreciate that time of year. I, I could see that. I think, I think you do a better, I think you do what I wish I could do. And that is you are a well-rounded outdoorsman. I always find myself and it's probably because I, you're so far South. It's probably hard to chase the seasons of deer, but I'm kind of in this cool place where I could chase like five or six different ruts all within Mm -hmm. three hours of the house. And so I find myself every February going, God, I wish I, I even sighted in the 22 this year. You know, I bulked, I bulked up on ammo. I did my ammo thing and I just didn't do it anymore. And I wonder, I kind of wish maybe hope, hope this year that I can be a little bit more like you and be that, well-rounded outdoorsman that uh, every year I swear I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, you know, I love deer hunting. Um, but, you know, for me, deer hunting is, it has much more, it's, it's much more utilitarian for me. Um, I'm really trying to feed, fill the freezer as, as a hunter, really, when it comes to deer. Um, you know, when I, when I get into small game hunt, hunting when i get into turkey hunting i mean that's really where where that wanderlust kind of like takes over in me yeah um, you know that's really what i want to be doing is i just want to be walking and moving and seeing new areas and you know just 
you know, looking at that map on, on, on Google Maps while I'm at work and just wondering what it looks like and then just getting in there and just, you know, completely, you know, covering the place and trying to see what this hammock's like and, and that one. And, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know, you know, that, that's sort of like where I really kind of, I don't know, get into that zone. Well, I got a question for you then. Where where do you feel you're more successful with deer or what makes you more successful, your preseason scouting, in-season scouting, or postseason scouting? Oh, I would say definitely my preseason scouting. I, absolutely. You know, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, uh, you know, year after year, and I, it, I, it's never not surprised me, but it, I'm always shocked at how little I see uh, people out there during the preseason. Um, you know, you, you show up an opening day and there's, there's three trucks parked where you want to go. And, and, you know, the, the roads, uh, you know, every half mile there, there's a truck parked somewhere. And, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, you know, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, some guys, uh, scout on different days than you, but I, um, I'm just surprised there's not as much enthusiasm to be out there every single weekend for, you know, the, the two months before season opens, um, uh, you know, that there's, that there's just not more people, you know, vested in, in preseason scouting. Cause I, I feel like season season for me never starts, um, you know, opening day. I mean, that's, that's when you're allowed to bring your bow with you, you know? Um, but for me, like hunting, like scouting is hunting to me. Um, so I, I find it incredibly important um, to spend that time to spend every weekend you've got uh, leading up to season, finding fresh, fresh sign. And, you know, that, that, that during season uh, scouting, you know, like I said, you know, marking waypoints and stuff that I might want to lay a camera on next year. I mean, that that's all that's all, you know, helpful too, but, you know, every, say most of the deer I've killed, uh, was confirmed through fresh sign, uh, leading up to the hunt. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I just, I always, uh, I've heard different, like some people really think their postseason scouting helps them. I I prefer kind of, I mean, I do preseason, do a little bit of postseason, but I feel like a lot of my like in-season stuff kind of gets me there uh, more. So I, I just like to kind of ask people um, what their uh, thoughts are. So it's just a, another take on it. So it, it seems like in an area like where you hunt, trail cameras could become very quickly the backbone of inventorying deer. I, I don't care about necessarily killing the biggest deer. I want to every year, but ultimately I'm out there just to kill uh, something to put in the fridge, right? That is literally my underlying goal of being out there. Um, and I found in Florida, you have these pockets of deer where you can hunt. And I'm curious, do you deploy trail cameras? And if not, why? No, I, I definitely do. Um, I'm a big fan of them. Um, I've been a big fan of them for, you know, probably most of the years that I've hunted. Um, the, the first uh, two years, I think, I did not use them. Um, and 
once I began using them, really started to appreciate um, just seeing the same deers over and over, kind of like getting to know when they were moving around. Like I, I felt like it was very educational um, in a way that, that probably advanced uh, my understanding of deer um, a lot faster than had I not taken advantage of trail cameras. Um, and I've also, uh, you know, w the first deer I ever passed up, um, it was a legal buck. And that year I had these, these three deer on camera. Uh, I had him. Um, and then I had these other two, they, they looked very, very similar. Um, they, they weren't, you know, very old bucks. Um, but they were, they were pretty decent. You know, I, I would say. And um, opening morning, this younger deer comes out. And, you know, like I said, I'd seen him all over my camera. And he steps out about 10 a.m., um, walks past me, pauses, and I, and I draw on him. And, I, and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot him. You know, this is opening day archery. I'm going to shoot that deer. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I put the bead on him, and I sat there, and I... And I just changed my mind because I knew what was on that camp on those cameras. And, um, you know, it was opening day. And I, I, you know, for some reason I was like, I, you know, I've got plenty of time to deer hunt. So first deer I ever let walk past. Well, as soon as that deer hit 70 yards, I was like, what the hell did I just do? I had so <laughs> much. I was like, why did I just do that? You are a fool, right? And I and I was I was just having such a hard time with the decision I'd just made. And uh, 20 minutes later, one of the other bucks walks out. You know, one of the other ones on the camera walks the same exact path. And I shot him, and, you know, and, and took him on on opening day. So, like, I've since that experience, I've, I've really had a, a, a really great appreciation for deer. Um but it's also let me, you know, like I, like I talk about my deck of cards, it's also let me weigh, you know, what looks hotter and what, what doesn't, right? Because I might have an area that I was, you know, was crazy about last year, um, but there's one, you know, younger, you know, little forky on there, and that he's the only buck I'm seeing, and I've got this other area, you know, with a, a camera on that I've got these two nice bucks on. Well, opening morning, I'm going to go sit where the two nice bucks are right and you know you you honestly can't tell i mean i, I sat there and, and watched the spike tear the hell out of the cypress tree and create the biggest rub you know that you thought you'd think some you know big eight point uh you know tore that thing to pieces but i sat there and you know watched a little one-year-old deer tear it apart and it you know reading sign i think is is can be misleading like you, you don't understand um, the, you know, the frequency, uh, you know, what type of deer there. And I think, you know, utilizing trail cameras can, can really help give you insight as to exactly what's going on. You, you can really pick apart an area. So I'm, I'm a big fan. So I'm, I'm definitely, uh, you know, in support of, of using them. Would you say, okay, so out of curiosity, how many do you operate? I have eight cameras right okay. now. I have, uh, well, one of them's home right now, but the other seven are out. 
are they year round for you? Is that a year round? They they sit out there and gather intel, or are you bouncing them around? No, no, because I'm taking them out. I'm taking them all out and then putting them in turkey spots. Come small game. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have twenty cameras, but I I don't know if I can juggle all that. <laughs> Richard, you you're in good company with me because I would much rather be turkey hunting than deer hunting. So with the moment oh, yeah. you said that, that's literally what my pattern is right now, uh-huh. and. Uh, I've got several people who are like, dude, you got to leave some of them out for whitetail. I'm like, mm, I want to know where those turkeys are at, dude. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's tricky, though. I mean, especially with our wet and dry season, you know, it's 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 hard to scout um, because that, that like, you know, I, it's hard to scout for turkey during deer, and it's hard to scout for, for deer during turkey, right, Because because of that difference in our wet season and dry season. It can have such an impact on on the landscape that you know it'll change things up, right? Whereas you know now the the, the turkey will will be basically more focused in on those hardwood hammock areas, those drier pine pine islands, um, and then once as that water recedes, they're going to creep into the into those swamps, right? I mean, there there there's no turkeys uh you know in, in swamps in swamps right now that are under two three feet of water you know right uh, so i'm moving those cameras from from turkey areas to deer areas uh depending what time of year it is interesting yeah it kind of makes sense especially with the water I, I hadn't considered the the water component of that the rising and the dropping that i mean that's there it's not like you're going to gather year-round in, intel there perhaps that's really usable for for any one mm-hmm. singular species because it's so seasonal um yeah that makes a yeah, lot I mean, of sense if you aren't afraid of deep water um you know it'll just sort of change their their routes basically sure. right because they will cross you know they'll they'll cross a canal they'll they'll cross through deep water i mean i've got um you know pictures of them on camera uh from you know post uh hurricane irma with deer walking through water up to their chest you know um, but that, that's a, an, an interesting thing too, is there was, um, I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with the South Florida deer study that was conducted, um, a few years ago, um, no. lots and lots of great Intel within that study. And, um, I believe it was four years, um, that they ran a collared deer study here in, in South Florida. And, um, uh, you know, one, one of the, Primarily, basically, what they learned was uh, mortality uh, is, is the most common mortality was was panther predation. Um, but one of the things that was interesting is that the during the course of the study, we actually had Hurricane Irma come through, and uh, some of the the telemetry that they had showed deer uh, as the storm came in or w- was approaching, the deer went to those drier, highest hardwood hammocks, they knew exactly where they were, right? They wow. were like, water's rising, and they had, you know, collars heading right towards uh, hammocks during those times. So, um, you know, the deer understand the landscape, too, and, and they know where those, the, you know, the, those different habitat types as well. That's fascinating. So they felt the, they felt the hurricane coming, and they... Yeah, I don't know they felt the hurricane or saw that water getting higher you know i i don't know what that trigger was for them but 
but they they actually watch those those deer migrate towards the drier areas. That's fascinating. I mean, it makes it makes good sense, right? I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. fish and everything else do it. I just it, it's it's weird to me. Um, like the the idea that that area changes so much. I remember that during turkey season, you're posing with birds, um, and, and there's like a high water mark behind you. <laughs> you know, like it, it's very clearly evident that <laughs> the there are two and a half, three feet of water sitting right where you kill birds. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. I mean, feet feet of water. Yeah, that's awesome. So, do you find yourself darn near swimming to get to to some of your locations? Like, are you pushing through? you know, a couple hundred yards of super deep water just to get to mildly deep water or. Yeah. I mean, there, it depends. There's some areas, uh, you know, where I cross through bigger swamps and I'm, you know, probably need a thigh deep, um, in maybe for like a quarter mile stretch. Um, and then like leading up to that is, you know, maybe like six or eight inches of water, um, you know, with some little dips somewhere in there. Um, but I would say for the most part, you know, my feet are, are, are pretty wet from, from the truck to the, the tree stand. I mean, th- there are, uh, you know, dry humps in there, but, uh, you know, wh- one of my friends, you know, was, was asking me, you know, he, he's from North Florida. He was asking me, why don't, why don't you just bring a canoe? And, and unfortunately it's not. Like, because it's like dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, it's like there is no real perfectly efficient way um, to get through it, right? You, you've just got to right. walk because right. you're going to be dragging the canoe in the dry spots and then, you know, paddling for a little bit here and then dragging the canoe again. And, you know, same thing with like an e-bike, you know, you're going to be in water trying to keep the thing out of the water and then back on dry land. Like it's, you know it's tough to, to kind of, you know, uh, get around it. I mean, you've just got to kind of, uh, you know, walk your way through it. And, and again, like going back to the boot thing, it's just like, man, you're, if, if you're going to be wearing knee high boots, you're going to be trying to avoid deeper spots. Like it, it's just going to be create a burden for you. It's, it's an, it's an obstacle. So, I mean, it's really, you really just got to subject yourself to it and just get wet. Yeah, I I could see that you almost you almost hinder yourself right right out of the jump for sure. Totally. I, I if you could go back to your earliest deer hunting self, and you could impart one piece of wisdom that would have forever changed for the better your deer hunting success down there in South Florida in these areas we've been talking about this episode, what one piece of wisdom would you have given yourself? And that's that's a tough question. Uh, you know, I I think. I, I think it's not necessarily exactly deer wisdom, um, but I would tell myself probably, you know, just to enjoy your time out there. I think as a as a newer hunter, I was really wanting success, uh, and that was in the beginning probably too important. Um, I think as a as success comes and, and, you know, you shoot deer and, and, and you do have that as an experience, um, you know, it, it kind of gets a big monkey off your back. Um, but 
like looking backwards, I don't know what the monkey was, um, honestly. And I would try and convey that to myself to just enjoy yourself out there. And it's not all uh, wins and losses, you know, when you sit in a stand. You know, it, I think every experience out there um, goes into your tool belt and, and becomes part of, you know, whether it be the information you saw that day or, you know, the intel you, you read out there, um, just watching the landscape. You know, I think there there's no success and fail. You know, it's not a pass or fail experience. And, and that's what I would really try and, I don't know, uh, tell my younger self. There you go. I can dig it. So hang on one second. I'm going to wrap this up. I want to chat with you afterwards. Guys, deer season is so stinking close. By rough estimate, I've got about 30% of my trail cameras out. I've got to get more out. I know I'm slacking. Uh, but that's no excuse for you because you guys, you, you just live and breathe the outdoors, so you should have all of yours out. But if you don't, get outside, get your trail cameras out there, get ready, shoot your bow, uh, wander a little bit further as Richard uh, was talking about, have that endless curiosity, and until next time, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.